This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Zach Moore. Ken Tripp is still off filming the Green Berets, but we have a very exciting interview this week with writer Will Stape. His recent book, Star Trek Sex, Analyzing the Most Sexually Charged Episodes of the Original Series, is a unique examination of sexuality as portrayed through the 1960s broadcast television lens of the original series, and I'm excited to discuss it with him today. Welcome to the podcast, Will. Hey Zach, what's up? How you doing? Good, man. Good. No, I had I had a comment though when you said about you know your buddy doing the Green Berets. That that's the name of one of my favorite old Western movies or war movies, the Green Berets. What is he doing? That's really cool. So that that is just a reference to me. Uh, I I usually have our, our co-host here, Ken Trip. Okay. He's uh not with me this week. He's been a couple weeks now. So that, that's a little in joke I say when he's not here okay. that he's right. off filming right. the Green Berets because right. in the original right. series George K left the show for a while to go film the Green Berets and then Absolutely. Walter Candy came That's in. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. I know. That's great. Walter it's awesome. Candy came I in. I, I get the reference now. That's awesome. There you go, man. See, a yeah. true Trek fan yeah. connecting the dots. So I'm telling you. And it's a great film and, you know, it's like to chaos. Needless to say, he's had a storied career. I mean, it's, it's so awesome, you know, to be with, you know, such a big film, John Wayne and all. Yeah, I mean, that. it's like, I'm sure he misses being on Star Trek as many episodes as he did, but how can you, you know, look, look, poorly upon being in a film with John Wayne at the height of his career, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I remember that, you know, because I've done a lot of interviews myself. I, I interviewed Nana Visitor, you know, good old Kira from Deep Space Nine, and I was asking about when Terry Farrell left the show, you know, to, to do the Backer sitcom. And I said, you know, did you guys discuss, you know, because they were, of course, friends and all, and she said, yeah, she really made the right decision. I said, did, you know, did Terry maybe have regrets? And she said, no, she wanted to work with Ted Danson and be in a big sitcom, so. And, it's and neat, yeah. not to get too off topic, but I, I actually, I liked that change in season seven. Actually, if there's one character you can switch out, Dax is the perfect one, so it just yeah. All, all those real world factors just kind of right. work for the story in my yeah. opinion but yeah and i will I, i'm not ashamed to admit i had more than a tear in my eye when dax you know bit it courtesy of golden car i swear <laughs> it was awesome yeah it's well, a memorable one we'll yeah. get into a uh, d space nine and next gen a little later will because you have you have some connections there as well but before before we dive into all that and then talking about your book let's talk a little bit about you your, your star trek fandom all, all that good stuff so when did you discover the show what are your, some of your your earliest star trek memories that kind of stuff yeah it's it's incredible I, I put in the book i remember talking to my publisher and editors you know when i was working on it and it was just like you you know let's get a bit of background on this fandom and i can clearly remember four years old I, you know i was not in in grammar school yet it was not even in kindergarten no fingerprints 
paint, Stephen, you know. It was four years old, and I'm watching my, my little black and white, you know, non-cable, non-Roku TV back in the day. And I remember the, the episode, the scene, the dialogue. It was Squire of Gothos, good old Trelane, yeah, and, you know, dancing with the yeoman. And, and like, my little four-year-old brain was like, what is this? It was just, like, exploding. And, yeah, and I kind of never looked back. I mean, I didn't I didn't become a regular, you know, viewer then, but I would try to watch whenever possible. And, you know, here we are now. Yeah. It just, it's just such an impression. It's crazy how much just our assimilation of media has changed in the last, gosh, 10, 20, even 30 years, right? Because you see a little bit of Star Trek on TV and you're a kid. You catch it while you can, that kind of thing. But today it's like, oh, you want to watch Star Trek? Well, here's the entirety of Star Trek you can watch at your disposal at any time, in any place. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. I remember even before, you know, CBS Paramount did, uh, now they're doing CBS All Access, of course. You know, it's on Netflix. What is it? I think it's on Hulu. It's pretty much yep. on every, I guess, yeah, streaming. But I remember, remember, they used to just put it on their, like, CBS.com, like, like back in the ancient days of, I mean, you know, eight years ago. And, yeah, and I would catch up. I would, you know, watch it there. Or I think Star Trek.com has a couple episodes, too, right? So you just literally you can go in yeah, so many places, right? Right, right. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm similar. I, I watched Star Trek at a young age, and my parents were actually both Trekkies, so I, uh, I, I had no nice. hope. I was a <laughs> yeah. Star Trek fan. Yeah, it was life. a total uh, doom, blessing, or curse. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and here I am doing a Star Trek podcast, so. <laughs> it's great, Zach. You know, and, I, and I'm just the opposite. Literally no one in my family likes Star Trek. They run the other way. You know, like I, I had to actually, like, you know, bribe them to sit down to watch my episode. <laughs> it's like, please. So, no, I have no no comrades in Trek them in my, in my yeah, yeah, family, so. Well, one, one of your other big fandoms is uh, the Howard Stern show. You're a big fan of Howard Stern yeah. and his show. So, so how did how did that influence your well i know i had some factors in just you in general but star trek fandom and all that good stuff sure sure in fact it's so cool because for years um you know howard talked about still does that he's a huge sci-fi geek you know comic book geek and he loves star trek and so uh yeah i mean i remember you know in the early days i'm talking about like late 80s early 90s when i first started you know listening to him um, yeah, he just he's just one of the one of those celebs that, you know, not only loves the show and says it, but he can prove it. You know, he'll talk about, you know, the Klingon honor ceremony, whatever. He knows his stuff. Yeah, it's good. It's great. You're so right about that. Not he doesn't just talk the talk, but he actually can back it up because I think there's so many people today because we've had this this nerd renaissance, this geek renaissance, <laughs> call it what you will. And everybody yeah. is like a nerd now. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I watch Star Wars. Yeah. I'm like, well, OK, well, who doesn't? Right. <laughs> Yeah, but do you know what a, a blue light, lightsaber and a green or the power jewel? Right? Can you actually give us yeah, real details? I know, I know, that's the true geek in there, right? Now, I, I'm not, I'm not a big Howard Stern fan or anything, but I'm mm. of course familiar with with him. He's such, sure. he's just a pop culture icon at this point. And uh, and I went to a convention uh, a few years ago, and uh, George K was there, and he talked about the origin of the oh my meme. Uh, right. and, and a lot of right. people, a lot of people don't know that's that's from. Howard Stern yeah. is where that originated. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's amazing. And I remember listening live. It's so cool to evoke these memories. I remember listening live when they did, like, yeah, the phony phone call to, to George Decay. Well, it might have been taped, but, you know, they were broadcasting live. Anyway, and you hear, you know, the guys pretending they're Ricardo Montalban. And it was just, and they did it perfectly. And he really fell for it. And then, of course, he got mad, and there was kind of a, a bit of a war, but then there was a truce. And now he's, of course, a part of the big family, an official, official member. He was just on the other day. I think he does at least a, a day a week or a couple of days a month. Yeah. Wow. And he'll, he'll stay on almost the whole half of the show or more than an hour. Yeah. 
That's awesome. And to turn it around, again, because he, he was pretty, you know, a hurt by it, or, you know, he was offended at the time, but I don't know, you know, it was months or a year or two, but, he, you know, he just flipped it. He totally turned it around and became, and I'm not sure Howard talked to him and said, hey, we're just having fun, and you should come come on board, and yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's one of those entertainment stories that is just special. It's a really special, cool, cool thing, yeah. Now, now, being a Howard Stern fan and then writing this book about Star Trek sexuality, there are obviously some ties there. Right. So how how did that was that something that like sparked your move to write this book to examine the show this way? Oh, Zach, it's incredible. This is basically what happened. I was doing a lot of freelance writing, a lot of magazines, online sites. So I was writing for um, actually a, a site called Associated Content, and then Yahoo acquired them, Yahoo News, whatever. So it was under that whole big banner. So I would do a lot of you know stuff that I love, and Star Trek remains you know something I love. So I do a lot of Star Trek articles. And then a good friend of mine, he was like, you know, Will, I guess I guess Fifty Shades of Grey had just come out. You know, it was like a big, a huge, you know, the book. And I'm like, yeah. And he said something about you know sexuality. I said, well, Peter, his name is Peter. I said, Peter, well, I did do like a, a, a you know, um, an article on sexuality of Trek already. He goes, but why don't you like kind of ramp it up, you know, do more like sort of like bondage, whatever. And I'm like, mm, I guess I could find certain episodes or certain, and lo and behold, yeah, I started looking over. So then I wrote just like a little article, you know, like the sexuality of next gen or old series of Deep Space Nine, whatever. And then one day I'm listening to Howard and he started teasing Robin, you know, Robin Quivers, his great sidekick, started teasing her about having Klingon sex or like when she would go on dates, like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they start talking in Klingon and, and, and teasing her about like, you know, the, her sex with her dates like Klingons. And I'm like, this is too, you know, gift from, gift from the heavens. And I'm like, it all clicked. You know, the light bulb just went off. I said, I've got to do a book on Star Trek sex. So. <laughs> yeah. So I really do owe a lot to Howard and my friend Peter, and they, they both kind of motivated me. It was like – and then rewriting for, you know, for online stuff. And don't you find too, like when you do posts or articles, whatever, like, you know, you want to put all your all into it and something you love. And again, sci-fi and Star Trek, you know, not necessarily in that order, but pretty close – is something close to my heart. I just love science fiction and love Star Trek. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, man. So, so, so let's get down to it. You know, the book itself. You, you examine about forty episodes or, or adventures. Yeah. You know, counting the movies yeah. of the original yeah. series. How did you come to narrow it down to those particular episodes? Yeah. Like, like, what was the criteria <laughs> of that? Yeah. It's interesting, you know, and I do kind of regret, I'd say there's maybe four or five offhand, I could say, maybe Piece of the Action, Shore Leave, and um, uh, was it uh, Cloudminders? Those were ones, you know, I just was going to put them in, but they just didn't kind of jazz me enough, you know, it, you know, and again, the, the subtitle, the official title is Sexually Charged. So I tried to go, you know, for the real sort of gusto and the real, you know, uh, sex and so, yeah, and so that's what I did. I basically went over every episode, just like, in, you know, in a wiki or memory alpha, just scanning it quick, because I know them so well. I mean, Zach, I'm sure you can relate. Like, literally, like, I just know, I've, I've seen each one, like, dozens of times. So I'm like, blah, 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 you know, plot points, blah, blah, blah. And then I watched maybe a few scenes. Yeah, I did watch a couple, maybe full episodes or full scenes. And that's, you know, that's how I did the research, the initial research, you had to pick that. But it was kind of hard, right? Even, you know, some people in reviews or, you know, other interviews said, why didn't you pick, like, Shore Leave? Why didn't you pick this? I'm like, well, it just didn't jazz me enough, you know, sorry. No, that's <laughs> yeah. what, that, that was going to be my next question. Were there any that yeah. didn't uh, make the cut? But you, you already <laughs> tackled yeah. that. The, the, the Cloud yeah. Miners especially reminds me, because it's like Spock is so out of character in that episode. 
know, coming on exactly. to uh, Droxine, yeah. and he's like, oh, I've never, Drox- very uh, good, Droxine, I love it, <laughs> exactly, never met a, a work of art yeah. that, or something like that, right, he's just like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> it's beautiful, it's beautiful, and the more you say it, the more I regret, no, I didn't put it, no, it was, I think that was really one of the ones, yeah, it was, and I think, though, but again, at the end, it, was, it wasn't sexually charged, but then, like we're saying, you could make the argument that because of Spock's, you know, the Vulcan heritage and his restraint, that in a way it is a, a, a very classical or cool example of it. So there you go, volume two, second edition. Volume two, let's get it, let's get it. There you go, there you go, definitely. Did you, uh, now, did you have any preconceptions about sexuality in TOS that were confirmed or actually challenged as you took a deeper look at these episodes? Because, you know, for example, I'm thinking of the pop culture uh, stereotype of Kirk, right? He's like, he's sleeping with women and he's he's hooking up with aliens and all this. It's like, and if you really break it down, it's not that often, guys. It's, uh, it gets Thank completely you. exaggerated. So is that something that you thought as well before you sat down and looked at it? Or did, did you did you know already that this is thank a trope you. that is incorrect? No, thank you, Zach. You, you said it perfectly. In fact, there, there's, there's only, I'd say, maybe two, three books um, one, you know, the biggie, uh, pocketbook official, you know, a big book that dealt anything with uh, sexuality. And that one, of course, is called Captain Kirk's Women. It's very fun. It's a breezy sort of photo book. You know, I remember back in the day, I was like, maybe going to pick it up. You know, I think it's like 10, 15 years old. The point is, is that exactly what you said. It is so kind of minimalistic, right, what Kirk's done. Though, I mean, he's become almost like right, this this galactic lothario because like the, the reputation has spread more, I think, right? And it, it sort of fed on itself, right? But when you really look at the episodes, you look at the whole crew having a real mature sexuality, a mature yeah, romance. Yeah, I mean, he, he would often use his... Uh his charms to the ends of helping his crew you know in episodes like uh, right. like cat's paw right he's like trying to seduce sylvia there but i mean he has no right. intention there of course she cut she picks up on it pretty quick and, and turns on him but you know he he's using exactly. the tools at his disposal to help him and his right. crew out of bad situations come on come on thank you <laughs> you know the gangsters of triskelion i just love that name and years ago i used to pronounce it triskelion and it was just triskelion i just love the title it, it's such a fun episode and of course the idea of him you know romance Saying that you know the the, the the female warrior thrall and all it's like right and at the end and I, I mentioned in the book like it is such a poignant end I think it's one of the p- most poignant sort of romantic ends and you know, we know like you said Kirk was just it was a means to an end to get away but you see her looking up and it's wow it's a, you know, it's such a great crane shot too if you recall I love that scene that that is yeah. funny because I've I've seen that clip used out of context and it's absolutely hilarious not not the in clip but a clip from that episode where he where he kisses her and then knocks her out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Out of Talk context, that's one of the funniest things on right, this show. Right, he's like Bond, and then, you know, all these tough guys, like, I, you know, take women, and, you know, and that's the thing, too, it's funny seeing, even bringing up Bond, like the 60s, right, you know, that, that sort of transition from the more buttoned-down, you know, Harriet Nelson leave it to Beaver 50s, right, into the more, you know, expressive 60s and 70s, yeah, and that's where Star Trek Ring shines, and in fact, when you think of it, it's on the cusp, right, because it's the late 60s going into the early 70s, so I love, you know, those ideas of, like, the transition of that culture and decades you know yeah just just great you know being cutting it was cutting edge at the time it really was i mean even the even the even the costumes are very suggestive yeah. right yeah i mean that's another thing like i i literally thought you know it wouldn't be my thing i mean i do like costumes but i'm like you could do a, a book on just the costumes you really could like costumes makeup, props you could just do a whole thing and i know they've done what there's probably a couple of them i know there's a great the art of star trek that's an awesome hardcover book and yeah, but really, you could just get take that alone through the the lens of sexuality, right, or the lens of expressiveness, you know, of alien races or you know alien cultures, right? 
And they just nailed it. You know, I look at all the other incarnations of sci-fi, and Trek is still kind of head and shoulders about the right, you know, in, in many ways, and of course, certainly even visually and production-wise. It's, it's still incredible. Yeah, and you know, because they had to conform to broadcast television standards at the time, I feel like they had to be a lot more clever and suggestive about things, which leads to, you know, opens the door for you to write books like this because this stuff has not been delved into, you know, because today, like, uh, today it's just, it's all, it's all on the screen, right? You watch like Westworld or something. Oh, well, there it is, right? <laughs> you know? Oh, I can't wait. To watch, you know, I've only seen clips. I can't wait to actually watch that show. Thank you for reminding me. Oh, there you That's go. on my watch. Put, put it on the list. Because so, I love the old one. Yeah. The, the best, uh, and, and this is cliche, right, when you compare these things, but it's like Old Battlestar Galactica and new Battlestar are right? But but like amped up, right? Exactly. But but I, I find you know I just find that refreshing in the way that Star Trek is it's a family show, right? Uh, yeah. And and you can watch it. You know, like I said, we watched it at very very young ages, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And and you're not going to sit your your four year old down to watch you know HBO's Game of Thrones or Westworld, right? <laughs> in the same way you can watch Star Trek. So that's actually yeah. something that that I appreciate about the original series is how under the surface a lot of these themes are. And that we can yep. sit as nerds and talk about them and analyze them and write books about them and all that stuff. Because episodes like uh, like the Man Trap, right? That's really a creepy situation. If you if you really I'm stop and think Zach, about it, you, you, yeah, yeah, you just hit on one of my favorites. Uh, I uh, the San Francisco Book Review. They uh, when they reviewed my book, they said the Man Trap was by far the most you know uh, profound and sort of uh, you know stimulating um, entry. Exactly, and I, I say the idea of having this partner that could be anything. Like who wouldn't maybe want that? It'd be kind of creepy and weird, but wow, you could go to bed with anyone you wanted every night. Yeah, but they'd be an alien and they'd suck salt. <laughs> they'd salt vampire, but yeah. So there's pros and cons. Pros and cons. So, yeah. There you go. But exactly. I mean, thank you. That is one of the in so many ways, right, Zach? That's one of the most creepy, haunting, you know, interesting, stimulating. It's everything that Star Trek was meant to be. I know some people say, oh, it's kind of a beastie of the week. I don't agree. Right. If you really watch that and, you, you know, Nancy Crater and Bones, it's so poignant. It's so interesting. Yeah. It's got a lot more depth than just a monster of the week. Yeah, it, it gets a bad rap, and on the surface, absolutely, it looks like a, a, just a, a generic monster of the week episode, as you said. But but because of all the emotional elements, and then of course McCoy, and then the Doctor Crater, and all that, like there's some. If if you really want like examine what's going on there, like this is this is this is weird. <laughs> this is unsettling. So yeah, it's incredible. Just imagine if like in a, in, a, in a softer, gentler moment, if if uh, Spock and Kirk, you know, or or, or what is it, um, McCoy, of course, um, you know, has to take her take her down. If they could have like taken her, maybe studied her, and she, you know, like the idea of like shape shifting could have helped the friend. You know, I mean, right, so many things go in your mind. And sadly, it was like with the last of the species, the last of the race, just so poignant, <laughs> so so emotional. You know, and then you know that suit was Wild Shang. I'm pretty sure you know, who did the lasers uh, yes. and the tricorders. Yeah. So you look at that and you're like, wait a minute, you know, this is amazing work. He was a great artist. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even and we talked yeah. about we actually did a, a recent episode on uh, the the monsters and creatures of Star Trek, and we talked about the. Mm. Uh, then do you call it the salt vampire or do you call it the M113 creature? You know, very good. I think I think I said both in my entry. Yes. <laughs> you know, because obviously the salt, the salt vampire is such a great generic thing. But really, it's actually it's so poignant. Remember, what is it? One of the crew members and looking at her and then, of course she's appearing at younger or just a totally different girl. And you'd like even though you're free, freaked out and creeped out, like I, you feel sorry. Too, but it's trying to survive. It's trying to get over. You know, it's gonna it, it could die and it's just so good. I love it. It's one of my favorites. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, yeah. so what, what are what are some others that I mean? Obviously, you did like forty <laughs> entries here that you examined. What are some others that like really stick out to you? Is stuff that that nobody really talks about enough. But like, you know what, guys, look underneath the surface. There's some good stuff here. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, I'd say, I mean, even though it's one of the most, you know, popular, of course, is I love City on the Edge of Forever, you know, and I think there's so many, you know, and it's, I know, it's been dissected so much, but I think you look at that, and, and I think basically I was saying the idea of the lost, you know, romance of maybe Bones, the idea of, uh, what is it, the idea of, you know, doing the right thing, you have to do this for your future, for your for your family, and every right, and at the end, he's like, yeah, you got to, let's get the hell out of here, you know. Um, yeah, uh, I think I think one of my proudest, I think, too, would be maybe Turnabout on Intruder, you know, because come on, you look at our society now and sexuality, the, you know, LGBTQ, you know, this is um, where we are now. You know, thank God we've, you know, totally opened up and there's, you know, it's not just this one sexuality. And I think with Turnabout, even though, again, I know it gets a bad rap and I tried to kind of save it or, or, or you know, cheerlead it a bit more to say this is really interesting. The way he acts, I know people say, oh, Shatner did a little over Femi or whatever. I don't really think it's that bad. You know, I think uh, for the time, of course, you know, they're trying to get what? A true, uh, you know, uh, contrast, right? I mean, if he had just gone around and said, you know, I'm still Captain Kirk and asking and acting totally Neskin, I don't think, you know, that's there's no clues there. So you have to, you know, give, give yeah. So, and I think um, the idea of, you know, you can almost, I, I almost compared it, I compared it to sort of a transgender almost, you know, like she becomes. Uh, you know, of him and, and vice versa. And it's like, you know, dueling sort of, you know, gender bodies, opposite bodies. So, you know, I mean, of course, you have to scratch a little bit more and see that. But I guess I do. And I try. So, yeah. Well, that's what's so interesting when you, when you yeah. delve into these these episodes that are 50 years old now. Right. Uh, yeah. As you said, everybody, everybody talks about and we bounce back and forth between the, the classics, the heavy hitters. Right. Or or yeah. the, the more obscure ones that nobody talks about or the ones that people yeah. give a bad rap to. And I, I actually find yeah. I find it more interesting to delve into like, yeah, let's let's talk about Turnabout Intruder sometime, you know, because yeah. because nobody nobody talks about it. Like, look, I love sitting on this forever. I love the Doomsday Machine. Yeah. I love all those episodes. But the, right. w- what else can be said about them at this point? Right. Thank you. Right. <laughs> it is a little hard. It is a little hard. And I think for me, it's funny when I when I wrote each entry, you know, I tried to give at least a page and a half to whatever I would like to have gone on. But then I said to myself, I don't want this to just become wiki. You know, I wanted to become memory alpha because if you go those those sites are amazing and they you know they 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 list and bullet listed and document everything about an episode that's not what i was trying to do right but when i looked at sitting at the edge i'm like wow i only i think i did like 1.5 maybe two pages i'm like well i didn't say much but i think right you said right everything's kind of been said and done and then i i think i summed that up by saying no episode in any of the incarnations to me gets that romance down you know like you look at uh, um joan collins in her, in her prime you know, with William Shatner, and it's just, it's glorious, you know, it's one of the best sort of examples of romance, Star Trek sex, Star, Star Trek love, right, but like you're saying, it's not, it's not particularly, you know, novel anymore, right, nothing, you know, like everyone's brought something to it, exactly. Now, do you yeah. read any Star Trek novels, like fiction novels? Yeah, you know, I did. I used to. I haven't in a while. A, a good friend of mine literally has George. He has um, read every one a couple times. He has lists. I think he's a site who's going to put one up. So he kind of turned me on a bit. A friend in high school did too. So I've read maybe maybe several dozen. Yeah, I love. I used to love them. I haven't in a while though. But they're all, they're wonderful. I love yeah. the novels. Yeah. I bring that up because there there was a. 40th anniversary now this is like 10 years ago now right but in the, for the 40th anniversary of star trek uh, they had a a trilogy of novels called crucible so star trek crucible and they all revolved yeah. around the city on the edge of forever and one really? was a mccoy what? book one was a spock book and one was a kirk book and right. it, it really uh delved into nice. uh, how that event in, influenced all their lives and especially you know kirk and his relationship with edith keeler and it you know it, it kind of extrapolates that they were in the 30s for a long time right the episode it, yeah. it's kind of hard to gauge sure. how long they were there right but you know yeah. i like to think they were there for you know maybe 
couple months, maybe even more, you know, waiting around because they get an apartment, they get a job, right? It's not like they show up and then, like, two days later, McCoy shows up. I know in the truncated uh, television world, that's how they have to portray it. But, you know, they can really right. delve into a lot of things, and you kind of feel like you feel the relationship, you feel the loss more. And, and I just – I really recommend those books. If, if uh, I don't read that many – I mean, when I was younger, I had more time, and I read a lot of Star Trek yeah. novels. Me too, right? <laughs> I used to devour them. And now, right, as you get old, right, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I definitely yeah. seek those out. So Star Trek Crucible. Oh, yeah. That sounds awesome. I love the idea of almost like a Rashomon effect, right? Like perspective, multiple perspectives. Yeah, and, so and that's cool. exactly that's okay. exactly what it is. That's why it's very fascinating uh, to look at it. But um. yeah, in fact, come on, Zach. Not just, not just because we're fans, not because we're talking Trek, but name a show or movie series. Okay, Star Wars. I know they're they're always kind of you know paralleling, but that has had that much. True, you know, literature and books, really good novels. I mean, I challenge anyone, right, to, to read some of those books, exactly, and say these aren't really good just sci-fi novels, you know, really good sci-fi fantasy genre, whatever, right? And it's like, yes, yeah, so it's another reason why Star Trek's so special, yeah, to have all those novels, all those books, too, yeah. And I, and I think that they, you know, this is a tangent, but that's what we do here, standard, standard over tangents, as we say. Uh, I, that's what I like about the Star Trek expanded universe or extended universe. I, I don't know what these things are called anymore. I've, I've heard so many terms. They don't have to worry about being canon you know uh i i feel like there's so there's such an obsession now with all these tie-ins of like oh the, the you have to read the comic book before you watch the movie and then uh, get, get the, the roll up in the cereal box the holographic uh yeah yeah cereal uh thing i know it's crazy like I, 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 you know the matrix i think started that really uh, like with the animatrix and all these stuff and i'm like come yeah, on guys I, yeah yeah, I remember buying. I was working in the city. I was working PR of firm in the city, and I bought the Animatrix, <laughs> and I got it from the old Circuit City. Yeah, and I was all I was all crazed on my lunch hour, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Circuit and, City, and now we're dating ourselves, yeah. right? Remember? <laughs> oh God! You know, I still think. Believe me, I think they're online. You know, like they haven't dissolved. No, no more brick and mortar, but they're still online or something. Yeah. Ultimately, well, like, what, what do you hope readers will will take away from from your analysis here uh, of, in your book of all these episodes? Yeah, I mean, again, I think, you know, you don't want another, like I, I said, even in, I think in the forward, I said, you know, this is not another compendium. You know, this is not another database, you know, on Wiki. Again, those things are great, but it's kind of been done to death or it's all there and it's wonderful. I want to make you look at them again and, you know, in a romance way, in a sex way, in a, in a human sexuality way. I think, um, what, just recently I did, it was great, Trek News, who I'm, I'm writing for now, too. I do a special TNG at 30 column. But they interviewed me, you know, before I came on board. And they said, you know, the, the writer said about the episodes. And I said, you know, yeah, let me let people look at this in a new way, you know, a different perspective. And kind of, you know, and, and not and not just look at it as, you know, just an adventure, sci-fi adventure show, which is great. A sociological show, which is great. But that human sexuality, right? And I think what's interesting when people say, oh, sex sells and it's everywhere, it's like, yeah, but what kind of sex? Like you said, great, great point. Family values, or rather, family show. It's funny, I, I've been doing a lot of old retro TV. I did a couple seasons of I Dream of Genie, Bewitch, you know, classic sitcoms. And as you know, right, they're in the same era as Trek. In fact, some of the, so many of the guest stars overlapped in Star Trek. You see some of the, the directors and writers on each. It's amazing. And it's like, you know, they're dealing with what? Sci-fi, fantasy, genre, whatever. And they always skirt, right? They always get close to maybe a little bit of too, too runchy sex, but never, right? They never have to be, you know, the X rating, right? So just to look at these episodes again, these characters, characters and yeah that they're human beings and hey human beings need love right? human <laughs> beings need relationships and love yeah. <laughs> absolutely one of the reviewers said it should be maybe called star trek love or star trek romance because that's what it really is in a way but you know star trek sex it's a, it's a quick you know quick, 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 as, quick, as you said sex sells so there you have it yeah. 
<laughs> now, now you mentioned the Next Generation, and uh, you know the the original series is not your only Star Trek wheelhouse. You're one of a select group of, of freelance writers who actually sold scripts to Next Generation and D Space Nine that that were produced back in the days of Star Trek's open script submission policy. So, so I mean, first of all, legit man. <laughs> so uh, kudos Thanks. to you, sir. Uh, so, so tell us about how that that came about and your experiences there. <laughs> You know, it still kind of blows my mind, seriously. I mean, I'm not just saying that because back in the day, right, I mean, like we were saying before, the idea of so many ways to watch TV, right, movies, Roku and streaming on your phone, on your tablet. And back then, what, it was only, uh, you know, the broadcasting, what, you had syndicated TV shows, yeah, and you had cable. But, right, to think that Michael Piller, you know, he's passed now, great producer, of course, the best of both worlds, Locutus, you know, creator, he opened up the show. Yeah, he opened up the show, I think it was 91 or 92. And in 93, that's when mine was purchased. I, I found out about the script open policy, and I actually – I bought the book uh, by Larry Nemchek, The Star Trek Companion, you know, Star Trek Generation Companion. And I, I'll never forget the, the entry. It was the episode Clues, and I can almost verbatim. It said, uh, uh, Bruce, D. Ar- Bruce D. Arthurs proved it could be done. The Arizona postal carrier and Star Trek fan wrote a spec script and submitted it, and it was purchased. And as soon as I saw that, like, again, it's burned in my brain. I'm like, I'm going to do this. And I did, yeah. It was incredible. And then I looked, you know, uh, obviously I finished the book, so excited. I wrote to Larry because I got maybe 22 or more, um, you know, photo flubs and errors, you know, wrong <laughs> caption, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, he's going to appreciate this, right? But he did because, you know, pocketbooks, and I'm sure they, you know, they did appreciate it. And he said, hey, Will, you know, this is the d- deal. This is how you can get, um, you know, maybe your script in, but be assured. I think he said at that time there was 5,000 a week or something, I don't know, a month that they would be inundated with. He said, don't, you know, be upset if you don't, yours doesn't get bought. And yeah. It was awesome. You know, that's another thing. Larry wrote writing back to me and he gave me the name of Lolita Fatchow, the script coordinator. You know, you had to go through her to get the guidelines and all. You know, again, it's one of those things that I probably wouldn't have gotten the contact. I would have had to got, get it some other way. So it was really, really helpful. No, Larry's an awesome guy. We've had him on Standard Orbit awesome. and met him at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas last year. So uh, he's a great guy. That's awesome that he helped you out that way. And, and, and what Trek fan does not have his next generation companion on their shelf, right? That's like required, <laughs> required purchase. Right. I got the two volumes, right? The, the, <laughs> the, the blue one that I bought in back in the day, of course, and then the expanded one. And then of course, then I saw my name in it, you know, I you know, went to Homeward and there's, you know, Will State, one of the writers, I mean, to see writers and to have my name, Zach, I don't care what else I do. I mean, I want to do a lot more in my life, but having to be connected with Star Trek, I just, it's just, it'll always be a thrill. You know, that dream come true. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, you wrote the episode Homeward, uh, contribute to the story. What what was what was your inspiration there? How'd you come up with that idea for that episode? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, for sure I was sort of combing, you know, my my, my brain, the database there to see what has not been explored. So I said, hey, you know, let me let me look at each you know character and see their you know their spotlight stories, right? The episode thing would all have there be a Troy episode or a Wharf episode. And in this case, of course, it was Heart of Glory, his first season. And so I'm looking again, looking all over my, my old episodes. I'm like, there you go. And they mention Wharf's foster brother. And they say about him, you know, his upbringing. He goes, you know, my brother, you know, Starfleet Academy, but he hated it. And that's all he said. It was like one line, maybe two lines. And I said, damn, that's a huge opportunity to flesh that out. To to delve into that, right? And I actually named after my good friend Joe. I, I, I named him Joe Rushenko, but they changed it. Obviously Russian. But um, but yeah, it was one of those 
those things, Zach, right? Well, you, you know, it's like you, you go over episodes, you want to watch them again and again for whatever reason. My reasoning, of course, was the research, you know, to the stimulate myself, to get ideas, but to just, you know, wade in the trek pool. It's interesting that you, you, you had a, a freelance idea that came into the uh, the seventh season, because I, I often call uh, Star Trek The Next Generation the seventh season, like Star Trek The Family Reunion, right? Because there seems oh, to be absolutely. a family member coming in uh, every other episode. Zach, I was so lucky. Think about it, because who knows? I mean, I haven't actually confirmed, but when they got mine, right, and I don't know, whoever was working, right, on maybe the Data's mom episode, the Geordie's mom, exactly, and they <laughs> all kind of yeah, came came to, yeah, it was it became like the family, the family reunion, exactly, yeah. Who knows, if I had submitted it three years before, maybe they would have liked it, yeah, wouldn't care. Yeah, well, they, 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 yeah. they were probably going through the same process you did, like, okay, guys, we're, we're, we got six years in the bank, we got one more to do, what what left is there out there we can find? So they, I mean, they, they went back and they found, you know, they went to the battle and found Damon Vock and, uh, you know, you. all that stuff. Thank you. Oh, you're so good. You're good. We talk about here a lot on Trek FM. Like, I, I think a lot of people write off the first couple years of Next Gen because they don't have the callers. And, yeah, they're kind of hit or miss. But I think there's still a lot of entertainment and enjoyment to be had in those early seasons. I'm telling you, I just did my first, um, my first uh, uh, article, my special column, TNG at 30, with uh, Over Trek News. And, and my editor, Brian Wilkins, great guy, but what I'm saying is he motivated me to do my first article, like, what is next gen to you? Like, you know, get, give us the jumping off point, the springboard, Zach. And it's amazing because just what you said, right, I, I literally go through it and say, watch the first season. This is not that bad. You know, in, in fact, it's really damn good, right? I mean, you know, right, you look at these jumping off points. Not only that, but look, you look at Troy and Riker, the whole, like, I'll never forget it, right, when when uh, they, they meet on the bridge and the guards are going and, and, and they, they drone out and you know, mute, mute uh, the card because he, she starts doing the, uh, you know, tele- telepathy. Imzadi, do you remember what I taught you? I mean, that's just, I still get chills in that. It's such a beautiful, you know, coming together of characters and that arc of theirs, yeah. So you, I like to say you got to, of course, do the first to get to the last, right? You, you can't have the, the, the last without the first. That's ridiculous. In fact, with a lot of the DVD sets, I would love them to do like a pilot and, 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 and you know, the last episode, like say um, a counter far point and all good things like you know sort of combo things that way you get the first and the last yeah so yeah, another script you sold uh was profit motive for d space nine's uh, third season why don't you tell us a little bit about that definitely and i'll tell you the, the original title <laughs> my original title was charity and um it's funny and again like we're saying getting ideas for things i mean it was a no-brainer to do something with you know cork i love you know the ferengi and then i said well obviously the idea of you know the penny pinching and you know the, the financially obsessed ferengi and what would be their their darkest hour? Well, if if the leader came and said, we're going to turn it into a charity, and everyone's going to give away your money. Like, are you kidding me? You know. So that's basically it was one of those sort of no brainers, and I flushed out more. But my um my original character was um was not uh, the Nagus. It was like a you know a new guy that was almost challenging the Nagus. You know, he was actually I named him. It's so funny how you get names at the time. Perot, you know, Ross Perot was running. You know, the big indie guy. You know, hey, you vote for me. How you doing? You know. So I was watching him in CNN with Larry King back in the day, and I'm like, oh my god, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of pattern him after Ross Perot. So I named him instead of Perot. I, I did of course a backwards. I Torrep, you know, I just reversed the mirror of the name. It's a kind of cool name, I think. So Torrep was my dude. And then, of course, I mean, Nagus is perfect. To have Wallace Shawn and to have, you know, in my episode, fucking again. I mean, I got lucky enough to have, you know, I say I gave War for Brother or Helped. And I gave, I tried to give, you know, 
a charity to uh, to the Ferengi. And Paul Paul Servino, who's you know the actor who played Nicola, he's he's got a new cookbook out with his wife. He's doing the rounds. I love Paul. Good fellas, one of my favorite actors. You know, in fact, he did a TV movie with LeVar Burton back in the day. I think it's called Dummy. It's about um, deaf, yeah, deaf mutes. And Paul played a deaf mute lawyer. And LeVar Burton played like a guy, you know, accused of murder. And he was a deaf mute, too. What, I remember when I was like 10, 12 years old. It was a great film. So it's interesting they had that little, you know, next gen. Well, little, little did you know he would be saying your dialogue one day down the road, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's this is a, and you know, I mean, him and then Patrick Stewart. I'm like, man, you know, Patrick Stewart, Picard, Ocean Luke, you know, come on. It's just, I mean, look what he's done, Zach. I mean, come on. It's like he's he's still the rarefied air, you know, A lister doing Logan and just amazing. Right. I'm absolutely. so, I'm so into, yeah. Did, did, now, did, did they send you tapes before the episode aired? Or did you have to wait like, like the rest of us and watch it all over the broadcast? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know what's funny? It's one of those things I'll never forget too, and I'll I'll never forget her help as DC Fontana. Like I like to say, you know, Lucille Ball was was sort of the mother of Star Trek, and and DC Fontana was definitely one of the great women of Star Trek too. You know, literally almost helping to create Spock or his backstory. You know the deal. Everyone knows. Right. So I wrote right. I wrote to DC. You know, Dorothy Fontana. She was she was either head of the Writers Guild. I think she was, or vice president. She was definitely on the board. I think she was the head. And I wrote to her and I said, look, you know, I'm I'm a total newbie i'm a total wet behind the ears more than i can say can you please g give me maybe guidance i thought she'd write back whatever she called me i remember on halloween <laughs> you know you don't forget these things and it's like hi you know will you say please i'm like yeah and she's like dorothy fontana i'm like oh my god Dad. i was total fanboy she's like just shut up like, you know, i mean you're polite and she's like i gotta talk to you okay like, okay okay and we just talked and she said about how the credits would go and stuff but one thing she told me Always, always remember, Zachary, ready? When she did, I believe it was called Dax, right? One of the Deep Space Nine episodes. I don't think she has any other writing credits of DS9. Obviously, next year we get encounter and all. But she said, Will, I said about, you know, getting the, like you said, a tape or, you know, a heads up. She goes, I don't know. She goes, they they sent me the script, I think, a month after it aired or something. And then I knew it, then that it aired or something. She goes, I had no kind of heads up. So so I was like, wow, if uh, DC Fontana is treated like that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's, you know, I can't be complaining. Yeah. But I guess it's just, it's such a business. It's such a, you know, and there's so many things happening, you know, who knows? Yeah. But I just, I, I got the writer's credits, you know, like what it will read. And then they kept calling me. They said, oh, okay, what do you want your writer's credit to read? I said, oh, I wanted to read William Stape, whatever, and Stape. And I wanted to put my initial in there, whatever. She's like, okay, whatever. And then I remember once, you ready? How naive, right? Once they called and they said, Seth, blah, 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 again, what your writer's credit. I said, I said, could it read story by? And they're like, no, <laughs> you know, because that's a different level of pay and I have to pay you a lot more and it's like no I'm sorry so that was you know, a little naivete a little bit you know that's interesting yeah you're right if Dorothy Fontana is not getting tapes really I don't think you should expect any either so <laughs> I'm telling you my friend and you know you look at other things here's another one like I could go on and on all day about next gen and obviously you don't mind now, there, there's a writer producer I what was in the fifth or sixth season he co-wrote wrote Chain of Command of Frank at, at Batamarco right what, what, wasn't he a lawyer oh, of some kind or? I'm telling you I, you know it's hard to get info in him right because I try because I love his work remember he also did man of the people you know the wig out troy i love that episode i don't like that episode. <laughs> really all right well we're gonna we're gonna beg the different but but the point is, is like he he but he did make such an impact like if you see those episodes right and you you really don't like hear about his contribution right i don't know it's weird you go to his imdb it's kind of truncated yeah 
So I'm just saying like the idea of like, you know, these, you know, so many people have contributed and even some of the producers on staff and you're, yeah, you're not, you know, you don't know. So why don't you like the episode? Well, uh, it just, I, I find it another episode in a long line of Troy's a victim episodes. It's like, oh, uh, we, we're going to, we're going to turn her powers against herself. And oh, there we go. Yeah. And then just in the, the age makeup's pretty cheesy and, and yeah, that is, I'll give you that. But I wrote an article back in the day, um, Troy, the, you know, next gen's favorite victim. Right. I just went to everyone. <laughs> but I kind of laugh at it because I, right. I, I totally agree with the cheapo makeup at all, but there's something not only about her performance, you know, it's so raw and so like in your face, but like the idea of like, you know, having this gem and yeah, you could say it's another, just, you know, gadget and thingamajig that steals energies and all, but there was something I, it worked for me. And I think Sirtis, you know, when she was at her top, she was she was incredible. So yeah, I think one of the real tops is uh, what is it? Uh, is it the loss? I love yes, that one. Yes, where she loses her powers. Yes. Yeah, that's a beauty. I mean, in all ways. Uh, I mean, again, we can go on and on by what Trek was done in terms of awards. You know, it was Emmy nominated in the last season, but there was so many great times that I think Next Gen and Deep Space Nine just got to such a height in drama. And you know, was not was not you know uh, recognized. Was not you know given. Yeah, deal, in so. season seven, I yeah. felt like it was you had a good run. Here's a nomination. We know you're going off the air. Right. It's almost right. It's like we didn't recognize it, but here's your little bone, bone, your little your little consolation prize. Agreed. I know. Yeah, but it would be nice if it had won. Getting back to your episode, I did have a question. Since you wrote Homeward, what do you think happened to Worf's brother and his family there? Because obviously, we never revisited them for the rest of Star Trek. It's a great question. I mean, who knows? I, I was waiting for, you know, maybe Deep Space Nine or something else while well, yeah, Voyager was in Lost in Space. But right, to, to maybe, uh, you know, revisit them in some way. Maybe something happened. Maybe they found something that was cool that the Federation needed. But then again, that could have been like a Insurrection, the Briar Patch. <laughs> I don't know if we want to go there again. No. But yeah, it, it's interesting. I just, I think Penny Johnson and the actress is so good as, as the love. And, Cassidy Yates. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling Cassidy Yates. And to see her back, Zach, how lucky am I? I know. To have these actors all, you know, within my next gen of Deep Space Nine, to, to keep kind of recurring their big names and, and they're respected. I know. But yeah, I, I would I would say they're just really happy. Maybe they don't, you know, they don't want to be bothered anymore because they're so happy on their, their new digs and their new digs. Well, the, uh, the, the creative behind Star Trek Insurrection obviously liked your idea since they kind of copied and pasted it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting. I think I remember someone telling me that and saying, "Wow, you know, blah 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 and stuff." I know, I know that. Right? It's right. It's such a potent thing—the idea of replicating or the illusions and the holographic you know, replication. I'm surprised they didn't do it kind of more. I mean, I know they did what Star Trek Voyager. They had spirit folk. I mean, that was reversed. That was what holographic figures becoming sentient. And I was like, you know, whatever, raising my eyebrows here. Now, I mean, you know, there were some interesting issues you could raise with the dock and all. But I think with Voyager to, to go a little bit off track, that they relied a little bit too much on, on holodeck you know i want to see flesh and blood i want to see you know but you could argue that if you're lost in space like that what are you going to do you know you got the holodecks you're going to use it more yeah so well there was an episode of voyager called flesh and blood ironically about holograms so. <laughs> there you go, there you go. And that's one of the better ones that's one of yeah. the better ones and i think right it's funny it's funny t what, what time does zach right Back in the day, I'm watching that. I'm, I'm all kind of like, oh, I don't know, and too much holog, you know, hol and holographic stuff. Now, what do we have? We have, we're on the cusp of virtual reality. It pretty much is here, you know, affordable. I was looking at something the other day. They said this new VR. I can't remember the name, but they said it's stunning. The hosts were like, you know, tripping over themselves trying it. And they said you are at the beach, or you at, are at the Grand Canyon, or you are at, you know, in Paris. 
And it's like, so it's here, right? So maybe I'm, you know, I'm wrong saying that you, you know, you know, HR or I mean, you know, holography and, and VR rather is going to be just huge and people are going to use it more than we should maybe, yeah, and become addicted like Barkley. Right. We're all going to be running around like Barclays, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, if there really were holodecks, I mean, we're, we're, we're not to the uh, the 24th century level of evolved human that, that Star Trek claims to have, right? Uh, we, we would right. all be Barkley in the holodeck. I mean, let's be honest, right? Literally, we'd, we'd never come out. We'd, you know, Domino's, uh, you know, <laughs> Chinese <laughs> delivery. Just leave it there. And, so yeah. yeah. So if if you eat in the holodeck, like, do you keep those calories when you leave? Question. You know exactly. And do you love? I used to be so geeky into, of course, you know, uh, the the tech. And I bought, of course, you know, Rick Sternbach's the you know Michael Kuda's the the next gen tech manual. And they said how it would what reuse the wink wink reuse all the food and the wink wink waste or whatever. And the idea of like re replicate re replicate that and it was all cleaned up, of course. But right, it's like you go in there and don't you love when they would they would bring out stuff and then it would it would take like two seconds to dissolve right? or five seconds and it would just start to <laughs> go. It's so drama because come on how could it even pass the threshold well maybe maybe but it's just oh stuff, so much you know? we, we, there's so many rabbit holes you can go down talking about so star trek so yeah so you, you should totally do you have any plans to write star trek sex 2 and talking about next generation maybe yeah, I, I would like to tackle it. I mean, my, my publisher's totally game. I think, yeah, I would love. And in fact, I had to uh, restrain myself, and as you know, you know, you, you reading the book and knowing it, I do delve into, you know, a bit of next gen and even deep space nine. Yeah, I touch on it, and I think, but to really explore that, like really, man of the people. I mean, the perfect mate. Mm, I mean, you look oh, yeah, at that. Lots of stuff there. That almost gets close to City on the Edge because you got Patrick Stewart, Famke Jensen in her prime. I mean, it's it's almost like a mirror. Another beautiful people in this beautiful of story. And remember how just how you know gracious and graceful and and amazing she was. And that's if I recall, that's her first real role. I think she did maybe TV commercials or maybe something minor. But that's her first like big dramatic role coming over from Europe. I'm never, you know, I'm never, and I said, like, this actress, it just, it blew my mind. I'm like, she's going to be a huge, and she became Jean Grey and Phoenix and whatever, yeah. And, so, and uh, Xena on the top and GoldenEye, one of my favorite Bond girls. Definitely, so. that, that's where I saw her before, but like, exactly. And that too, when I saw her, I'm like, damn, it's like Trek scores again, you know, a big name, and she's a great actress, and we're so blessed, really. The casting directors, Rick Berman, everyone who cast Trek, you know, come on, right? It's amazing. I know they saw what, uh, Patrick Stewart, I think, at a Shakespeare reading or some, you know, dramatic reading. And that's how they got him for Picard. What, what was he in? Dune, right? I think yeah, Dune. Dune was, uh, and he was in a yeah. very minor role in Excalibur as well with Liam Neeson. Very, Both of them were in very good. minor roles. So yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it is fun Dune. to go back and look right. at that. Well, well, I want to thank you for taking all your time to uh, talk to us today about your book and also your other Star Trek experiences. And, you know, if people want to find you online and keep track of your work, where can they find you and, and where can they find the book, Star Trek Sex? Yeah, it's it's pretty much everywhere. Um, um, you know, online, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, and um, yeah, you just you know go online, order. You can get the Kindle too, of course, or the uh, what is it, the iTunes, the Apple version of the Kindle, yeah. And um, and now now I'm writing for Trek News, and that's a real blast. Yeah, it's like do, doing primarily TNG at thirty, you know, the, the great sort of uh, anniversary. But I just do you know regular Star Trek too. But yeah, that, that's on TrekNews.net. Great site. Well, thanks again, and you know the sexuality of Star Trek isn't the only thing. We've been discussing this week on Trek FM. Here's a quick look at what you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. All right, I'll tell you what. You know, I have never, ever, ever worn a costume or cosplayed or anything like that. Now the challenge, the gauntlet has been out there. We're going to have to put together a Mugatu costume. Mugatu <laughs> costume. We got to. To the journey!
Make, make him taller. Give him some salt and pepper gray hair. Yeah. Make those shoulders broader. Your pubes have put a tattoo over his left eye. Oh <laughs> my god, look what I just did! I made it Chicote. Warp 5. Uh, are you an outside entity that is watching you deal as the bad uh, archer with the good archer? And, and Scott just looks at me and turns around and goes, Oh, God, will someone come here and get Gary a strip? <laughs> Meta treks. But these Romulans are still walking around in those nasty pointy shoulder tunics that they wear. I mean, <laughs> what's up with that? <laughs> Doesn't seem like they shed as much of their identity as the Klingons yeah, no, no, do. Not shedding as much of their identity. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at, at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trek.fm, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trek.fm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on the content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. Renee Roberts, Norman Lau, Aaron Harvey, Tim Robertson, Nick Anastasio, and Richard Marquez. Thank you so much for all of your support for both Standard Orbit and Trek.fm through Patreon. You can find Renee on Twitter at at MRES underscore 1701, Norm on Twitter at at Starfighter 1701, Aaron on Twitter at at GeekFilter, and Tim on Twitter at at TimRobertson56. And Nick and Richard aren't on Twitter, but you can find them on Facebook and around the Babel Conference. As for me personally, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And you can find my other podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. And we cover the Young Superman show, Smallville, that ran from 2001 to 2011 on the WB and the CW. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.